You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. When it comes to one of the most prominent relationships in the world, I think marriage might be it. I mean, it's something that's practiced across cultural boundaries, across worldviews, across the world, all types of different marriage. And our question is, what does God have to say about it? Here's a goal I have today, all right? I want us to begin to believe that it's possible to have marriages that are transformed by God. Plain and simple. Marriages that are transformed by God, not transformed by counseling, not transformed by therapy groups or, or friendships or whatever. Like, those are all good things, and I'm actually not down-talking them. Any, those are all good things. But I believe there's a key component that can transform our marriage, and it has something to do with what God has to say about it. We are in a world of people, and it is vital that we learn to function together. Uh, so we'll be talking about marriage. My wife and I, Lindsay, we've been married for 12 years this past May, 12 years. Uh, we started dating 15 years ago, and man, the time has flown. I remember that when we first got together, we were so in love. Man, it was just like googly eyes. Let me tell you, uh, I put the man in romantic, Okay. <laughs> I was the man, okay, like, I'm talking about secret dates and all kinds of, like, there were candles everywhere, and I'm cooking stuff and surprising them with gifts. Uh, You know, we would stay up on all hours of the night talking on the phone, like, oh, no, you say goodbye, you say goodbye, no, you say goodbye, no, you say goodbye. We were so stupid. Uh, It's like, I got to work in the morning. (laughs) But no, we were so in love. Now, we've been married now 12 years, and I got to say, I want to start like this, I have to. You try preaching a sermon on marriage when your wife is in the room, okay? Um, I have to say, and I mean this all my heart, I have a very fulfilling marriage. I love my marriage. But I got to tell you, 12 years has taught me something. It takes work. It takes work. If you've been married very long, you understand that it's not all you say goodbye, you say goodbye, and midnight phone calls and romantic dates. It's work. It's effort. It takes, it takes putting the, 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 the rubber to the road and saying, let's, let's talk about some things. Right? Let's, let's work on this. You know, marriage, though, when I step back and think about it, I, I see a very important fact. Marriage was God's idea. It was. It was God's idea. We looked at a verse of Scripture last week. It was in the book of Genesis, and it was very simple. It said that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And last week we talked about relationships in general. But that specific context was right before God created Eve. He created woman. And that was the first relationship we see in the Bible. A marriage relationship. Like, sometimes we look at marriage and like, man, marriages are all messed up. But I want to tell you something. Marriage is God's idea. Like, God designed us to desire each other. God designed us to want to pursue relationship. Like, the parts on our body that makes us male and female, it wasn't like God went off and, like, was watching TV and, and microwaving his lunch, like the devil came along and put that stuff on us. No, that was, that was God's idea. You hear what I'm saying? God has a plan and a design for the different genders, and he wants us to work together, and marriage is the context for that. Now, here's the thing. When you see something that is God's idea, I would think instinctively that when God created it, it should be good. It should be good. The problem is that God has set guidelines and standards for what marriage should and shouldn't be, and we've gone off and done our own thing. And that's why when you look at some staggering statistics you'll find in the last couple of decades, on average, about 40 to 50% of marriages don't make it. 
You know, and that's actually, that's better than it has been in decades past, but that's still, man, about half. And then there's another statistic, I don't know if you can really quantify this, but this is just some studies I was reading, that even of the ones who do make it, the sad thing is that many of them aren't happy. I said our goal is to have a lasting and fulfilling relationship, but some of them just kind of last. You know what I'm saying? But this is something that God made. What can we do as a culture, as a society, and more importantly, in your home, to have a lasting and fulfilling relationship, full of joy and full of God? Uh, Marriage was God's idea. The cool thing about marriage being God's idea is that when God creates something, he always creates a plan to sustain it. That's what he does. And so as we rethink marriage, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look into the Bible. I love every week getting to say that we love to look to the Bible, to the answers to some of life's most important questions. And it's convenient that marriage is full of questions. (laughs) Uh, There are so many questions. There are questions like, who should I marry? When should I get married? How do we learn how to communicate better together? How do we work through conflict? And like, what, what happens if I decide I don't want to be married anymore? Like, there's all these questions we have about marriage. And so I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. Uh, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians today. It's near the end of the Bible. It's in the New Testament of the Bible. The book of Ephesians is a pretty cool book. It, it started out as a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Christians in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. And so, uh, and he's got a lot of instruction on Christian living. And then you land in chapter 5 of Ephesians on this great teaching on marriage. And so we're going to be there. But while you're turning there, grab your Bibles and turn there. Also, if you don't have a Bible, we give them away for free. There are some under the seats in your chairs, and we'll have the scripture on the screen behind me as well. But I want to take a second to address a couple of people in the room. Um, And Aaron kind of alluded to it in his prayer just a minute ago. I recognize that not everyone in the room is married. And so you might be like, all right, cool, this is the day I tune out. (laughs) Like you're already on Facebook, like like, share. <laughs> i got to share that. Oh, what? Um, listen, if you're not married today, uh, i got a couple of, of things I want to say uh, to you because I believe that today's message is powerful for you as well. And actually, there's maybe three groups of people I want to speak to. The first one is the group of people, like, you're not married, but you hope that one day you will be. Okay? Here's all I want to say to you. Tune in. Don't tune out. Because too many of us didn't pay attention before we got married, and it led to a lot of problems. And so I believe that if you can take in some of these principles today, it'll give you a great step forward as you pursue a marriage in the future. The second group of people is maybe uh, you're not married, uh, but you live like you are. And, and I might step on toes here a little bit. Understand I'm not coming from a place of judgment. I'm coming from a place of love. Like maybe you're living together and you're sleeping together. Um, that's not God's best for you. It, it, it is not fun and it's not popular to say, but when you look at what God has to say about marriage, uh, we, our culture says that you know, sex is meant to be in the context of these things. The culture says sex is for ready people, it's for mature people, it's for people who are in love. That's not what God says. God said that sex is for married people. And that's the only context that it's okay. And I, and I say that because I want to be a community of people who can just speak truth in love. And so I believe that there can be uh, amazing transformation in the relationship you're in right now if you're able to point that relationship to God. Now, if you're someone who proclaims to be a Christian today and you're in that relationship, I encourage you to dig into that. That's not what today's talk's about, so I'm not going to spend a lot more time on it. But if you want to talk to me about it, I'd be glad to, to talk more about it with you. Um, so, And the third group of people I want to talk about is maybe you're not married today but you used to be married. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And I'm not going to make some blanket statement to try to cover all the bases for what, what might have gone on in your re- previous relationship. What I want to say here is that I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that, that your marriage didn't work out or there's a few of you I know who a spouse has passed away. Uh, here's what I hope that can be come out of this for you is that you can just be restored and have hope in the institution of marriage. 
And that maybe in hearing that God does love us and he does have a plan for good and transformed relationships that you can experience some healing today. And so, so this is meant to be a message for everybody, really. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and what I want to do is dig in and take a second to rethink marriage. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're actually going to start in verse 21. Paul is in this big discourse talking about a lot of different things for Christians and how to live and what they can do to have a better life. And then he kicks off this section about marriage with this one sentence, okay? This one sentence is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and this is what it says. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, if you don't walk away from anything, with anything else today other than this sentence, I want you to be able to walk away with this sentence. And so, uh, if you will, I'm going to say it again, and then let's just say it all together. Uh, you don't have to. Don't worry if you don't want to, but I think a lot of you will. It's going to be submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can you say that? Let's go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are two words that I want to unpack in here, and we're going to get back to these towels hanging on the rack, his and hers. Submit and reverence. Submit and reverence. When you look at the word submit, um, you know, it's, it's a word I think we all know what it means. Like, it's, you got the idea, hey, submit, you just submit. How do you define the word submit? You define it with the word submit. It's a word that everybody gets. But when you dig in a little bit more, uh, I, I found there, there's kind of two styles of submission, uh, and they kind of go like this. The first one is what I would call a mandatory submission. Like, you have to submit. Uh, this happens in the military. Okay, you've got, a, you've got an officer who speaks to a lower-ranking soldier, and he says, soldier, shine your shoes. And he's like, yes, sir. <laughs> Why? Well, because there's submission there, and it's mandatory. And the mandatory nature comes from a number of things. Maybe it's actually respect for the officer. If it's not respect for the officer, it's at least fear of the officer. And what happens if he might not obey him? So there's this obedience that happens there. It's a submission. It's a mandatory submission. There's another type of submission that I would call voluntary submission. This is, uh, you're at the grocery store, right? And you get to the checkout line the same time as this other dude. And you're like, no, please, you first. Right? You submitted right there. It was voluntary. And, and there were reasons for that, too. Uh, maybe it was just politeness. Maybe you're a kind person. Maybe you felt like you owed it to somebody. Uh, you know, I, I cut the other guy off, so I'm trying to like, get ahead here. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons. But here's, here's what, as I look at submission, submission always comes from somewhere. I want to call it a motive. Submission always comes from a motive. In the army, it is the motive of fear or respect. At the grocery store, it was the motive of maybe kindness or, or politeness or humility. But there's a motive there. And so when we look at this verse, submit to one another, submit to one another, the question we have is what would our motive of submission be? And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, submission is a hard thing to do. But it's really nice to have something to draw strength from. <laughs> the, the fear of the officer the politeness and the kindness that might be from your heart, or something that would allow me to submit to, in this case, my spouse. Let's talk about the word reverence. Reverence is actually a difficult word to define. I helped lead a Cub Scout group. Uh, my son's a wee below one, if you know anything about Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. And we're working on the 12 points of the Scout Law, uh, which is a Boy Scout thing. And one of the 12 points is the word reverence. And so one of the boys said, what does reverence mean? And the other pack leader was like, or den leader was like, uh, let's ask our resident preacher. Chris, what does reverence mean? I was like, shoot. Uh, so then I just kind of like fumbled through and I told something. I don't know what I said. Uh, I was like, I need to have a better example for that. Uh, so, so I did some reading for this and actually for that. Um, reverence, the conclusion I've come to is this. Reverence is about an awareness of the greatness of something else. 
an awareness of the greatness of something else. I walk into the presence of something great, and I just have to go, man, I got I to gotta respect that. I need to somehow show my honor for that. A better definition I heard recently was this one. Uh, this is the definition of reverence. You ready for this? Reverence is, whoa. Right? Reverence is, whoa. When you walk into the presence of something great, you just have this posture of, whoa. And so there's this sentence, out of reverence for Christ. Let me unpack this a little bit. Paul is saying, I want you to learn something about the awesomeness of Jesus. When it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your marriage, I want you to learn something about the awesomeness of Jesus. And when you do, you are going to want to respond somehow. And you might just go, whoa. Have you ever noticed how many songs at church have the word whoa, whoa, whoa in there? Maybe that's reverence. I don't know. Whoa. Maybe you want to write him a big thank you note. Dear God. Wow, thank you for shoes. They're great because I have rocks in my driveway. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Maybe you want a lot of people feel that they should give in service or in money or in some sort of dedication to something. Because when we stand in the presence of something that is, whoa, there's a response that is necessary. And so here's what God's saying. When you see all of me, when you see my goodness and my grace, and I don't know what you know about the goodness of God. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I actually have the opinion that God isn't very good. You've said that a few times a day. And in my opinion, God sucks. You know what? That's sometimes the experience we get. And I think that it comes from the consequences of the world that we live in. But when we can strip away the layers of what the world has done to religion and to God and, to, and with bad intentions, and we can just see God in his glorious state. And the fact that he said, you know what? I love you. And I want to give you a path back to me. My response is, Whoa. I want to do something for you in return. God says, you want to do something in return? Submit to each other out of reverence for me. Let that be your motive. Let that be what drives you forward. Your wife, your husband, they might drive you crazy. I'm not asking you to do it for them. I'm asking you to do it for me. So to submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. It's kind of like we've got these two uh, towels up here. In my house, we've got a cabinet that we go into for everything else. And it's really funny because I'm like, we're out of toothpaste. And my wife is like the super uh, planner header person. And she's like, we got toothpaste in the bottom drawer. I'm like, oh, that's convenient. Go in the drawer. It's like, ah, oh, there's a toothpaste. And sometimes when we're in relationships, we want to do good things for people. But we just like, I just can't. I just can't. I, they're on my nerves right now. I just, I'm not feeling it. And God says, go to the cabinets. <laughs> I've got something in here for you. This is reverence for Christ. You want to reach into something to grab motivation to let you serve someone else? Reach into a motivation of out of reverence for me. Whoa. Let's move on. Let's get back to these towels. Okay. I love that the way that Paul deals with marriage is instead of saying, here's marriage, and it's like the cake topper, and you're like, let me teach to you together. He's like, nah, I know better than that. You know, boys and girls are different. They need to be taught separately. And so he hangs up these two towels. And he starts out, because he's not a chauvinist, he says, ladies first. In verse 22, he's going to talk to wives. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and we're going to take a look at each one of these towels and see what it might be in our marriage that we can do out of reverence to Christ. Verse 22 says this, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Now, here, when I read this, I kind of I chuckle to myself. I kind of grin. And, uh, and it's because um, <laughs> your husband might not know jack about the Bible, but he knows about this verse. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, the Bible, you know, God said you should submit. I need a sandwich. <laughs> you know, husbands, this verse is not written to you. Shut up, okay? <laughs> this verse is not written to you. It doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit. This is voluntary submission. This is you going, I want to respond in some way to God's glory. How can I do that? Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, let's be honest. Uh, I'm going to pick on the guys one more time. Don't worry. I'll get back and build us up again in a second. <laughs> guys, sometimes we stink at this. We, we stink at allowing. Uh, we, we stink at the thing that God designed us for, which is leadership. Leadership in the family. You know, God, God created the world in order of things. If you look at the cosmos and you see the planets and you see the way things are working all together and whether it's on a, 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 a giant macro scale or then you come into our bodies and you look at our cell arrangement and DNA and how the functions of our body work together, here's what I understand about God. He is a God of order. He likes it when things have some sort of place to be. Did you know that the Bible actually uh, ordains government and says that government exists to keep peace and to issue punishment, even corrupt government? Yeah, because God says we need to be in order. He also supplies a time where we can come in and we can step in and we can take other leadership. It's all in there because God is a God of order. And so it's no surprise to me that when it comes to family, there is order. It says, children, you should honor your father and parents in the Lord, for this is the first promise with a, the first commandment with a promise. He tells kids, you got to honor your parents. And he tells wives, you submit to your husband because they need to be leaders in the home. God designed men to be leaders. That's what he designed us for. Now, this is where I was getting a minute ago. I got ahead of myself. Men, sometimes we stink at this. <laughs> Sometimes we're not great leaders in our home. I think that's why all of us are very thankful for very strong women who have been able to raise families. Many times as a single female in a relationship or might as well be a single female in the relationship, right? We're very thankful for them. But I think what this is coming down to is, ladies, if you have a husband who is capable of leading, let him lead. Let him lead. Even if he's not the best at it. Because this is some things that men need. One of the things when I talk to uh, men and, and, I, and I read studies on what, what men's psychology is all about, the thing that, one, that they draw the most uh, energy and encouragement from is respect. And I'm not talking about subservience. I'm talking about respect. Like, I, I, I appreciate you and I honor what you're doing. And so many men will say, I get respect everywhere I go. I get respect at work. I get respect around my buddies. But when I get home, I don't feel like I get any respect. Ladies, talk to your wives about that. <laughs> not your wives. Talk to your husbands about that. <laughs> Because if you're able to have a good conversation, I bet that they would be willing to say, yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate it when I know that you feel safe when I'm there. That you notice the things I did for our family. Maybe you wanted me to be home at five, but I stayed out till six because I was working for our family. Y'all need to work on that, right? But there's some level where we can find our place in the relationship. And what I'm encouraging ladies to do is let your husbands lead. Especially in spiritual things. Now, it is a cliche and a stereotype that is all too true that many times the wives, the moms, are the ones who are getting the family to church. And so here's one thing I would like to do uh, as, we, as we kind of take, take a step back from the hers towel and transition into the his towel. I would like to be a community of people who honors and respects women, the, the men do, and we say, listen, let's, let's empower women, let's give them voice, and let's respect all the things they do, but let's be a community and a church where dudes can come. 
And we can understand, like, this is a guy's place. The church has been just uh, feminized over the last couple of decades and centuries. It's become a place where men come in and are like, this isn't for me. <laughs> it's just not for me. We see it in the buildings that we build. We see it in the programming that we do. And I want to be a community of people that can say, guys, we can become leaders of our home by the power of God. Not because we're good, but because, uh, but because the power of God can transform me. And so, wives, let's let our husbands lead. Let's submit. And submission is a form of love. It's not about subservience. It's not about being chained to the kitchen, barefooted, and cooking on the skillet. It's about saying, listen, when you're going to lead well, I'm going to let you lead. Um, all throughout the Bible, we see God using our relationships as a model of our relationship with him. Our human relationships as a picture of what a relationship like him, with him is like. And I love that when we're talking about wives, we see that... Uh, the wives are compared to the body of Christ, which is the church. You know the Bible calls uh, the church the bride of Christ? It's pretty cool. So if you here this morning, if you're a part of the church, then we are the bride of Christ. Him being our, our husband, which is kind of weird for a dude to say, but the truth is he loves us in that way, and we are, we are submissive to him. And what I want to point out, ladies, is this. The church has done some amazing things through the years when they're led right, when, the, when, the, when, when God's in it. And lives have been transformed by simply being a place of saying, I want to play my role of submission and love the world. And wives, you can do that. You can do that. You can, it is a beautiful thing to be compared to the church. That's how God sees you, and that's, how, uh, and that's how you can take a step in your relationship. Sometimes I don't want to do that. Don't do it for him. Do it out of reverence for Christ. We'll move on. Let's change, let's change towels here. We're going to slide over to the husband's towel. Husbands, this is verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, there is more that it says to husbands, but I just want to, I think this is about all we can handle today. I want to reread that sentence. Husbands, love your wives how? As Christ loved the church. Now, if you're new to church, if you're new to God and you don't know a whole lot about the Christ loved the church uh, picture, let's just have a quick review. See, God decided, I want to come down to the world, and I want to create a path back to me through my love. And so what did he do? God makes himself into a human man, and he has the name Jesus. That's Jesus. That's the story. If you don't know much about Jesus, we talk about him every week, and I hope that you'll come back and learn more. But Jesus has a title. His title is Christ. Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Sometimes we think that. His name was Jesus, you know, I don't know, Roberto Christ. That Jesus, Christ was in his last name. Christ was his title. The word Christ, uh, it, it's, it means Messiah. It means chosen one. Essentially, what it's saying is Jesus is the one who came to save the world. So when you say Christ, you're talking about not just the person, but the role that he fulfilled. And husbands, the role he fulfilled was to come and give his life for all of humanity. Paul says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. I think sometimes as husbands, we get into this thing, there's the man cave idea. It's a big popular thing, right? I'm all about a man cave. I got one out in my shed. Like, it smells bad. There's holes in the roof, but it's my place. Like, I cut stuff out there, you know, with power tools. It's my place. And, and, and we have these kind of pipe dreams of what life can be on our own, but what happens is sometimes we take on this parallel life. Christ laid down the things he was able to take. He said, I could be in heaven. I could be enjoying the splendors of all the heaven. I could be living without pain, without heartache, but I'm choosing to come to earth and lay my life down. 
Husbands, if we thought submission was a tall bill, <laughs> laying our life down the way that Christ laid his life down for the church is a huge call. And it has to take step-by-step motions. Like, we're not going to go out right now and be the most perfect people. But so often, it's easy for us to be these grumpy old men sitting in the recliner, screaming at somebody in the kitchen, and bring me a sandwich and a beer. Because why? Because man, I'm the man of this house. I'm the king of the castle. This is my place. That is not the picture we see of a husband that honors God in the Bible. This is a man who says, I lay my life down for my family. And if we're going to ask our wives to submit to our leadership, then you know what we also have to do? Lead. Spiritually, you need to be the ones up on Sunday morning going, guys, it's time for church. It's going to be fun. When you get home, ask your kids, like, what would you talk about in your class? When it's Wednesday, you go, you guys want to um, <clears throat> pray or something as a family? Like, it's hard. It's not easy. But, man, what if we did? I'm going to tell you, God will transform who we are, and he'll transform our marriage. And so here we have this towel hanging on our rack, and we realize, man, that thing's heavy. <laughs> that thing's heavy. On that rack, it being the head of our home is about laying down our life for our wife, not because uh, she makes us happy or not because we need brownie points or not because, uh, I don't know, what she may or may not do in the bedroom or the kitchen. But why? Out of reverence for Christ Jesus. You see how this works? Loving and serving and submitting ourselves, our spouse can be extremely hard. You, you may have a great marriage, actually. But you know what? Sometimes it's hard isn't it? Now that we have all these things in front of us, we've we got our own towel. We've got some foundational tools that we can use. Maybe it's, maybe it's that we can, we can submit and we can let them lead. Maybe over here, submit and lead. Maybe over here, it's just, it's just about uh, sacrifice and love and, and actually serving our families. We go back to verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And my question is, how often do you go to that cabinet yourself? The cabinet down here from where you draw the power to just get through the day. If I could just put up with this relationship one more time. How often are you returning to that cabinet just for yourself? I'm going to tell you what. Jesus says that he is a well of living water. That if you drink from him, you will never go thirsty. That's a metaphor about water, but we've all been thirsty. And God says, come and draw from me. Get your energy and your encouragement from me. Get your self-worth from me. Well, she did this, she did that. I didn't ask you about her. What I asked you to, is about you and your relationship with me. We have been lied to. <laughs> We've been lied to by culture when they told us that we could go out and find our soulmate. We were lied to further when the awesome movie that is very quotable, Jerry Maguire, <laughs> said, you have me at hello. And then they said, you complete me. Because we weren't designed to complete each other. We were designed to help each other. We were designed to complement each other. But only God can complete us. He is the one who fills what philosophers have called the God-sized hole in our heart. He says, return to the well, return to the cabinet, if you want to call it that, and learn about what it means to revere me. There's so much that could be said about that, but I have to take a step aside because here, here's what I know is true. I know that you're in the room right now, some of you, and you're like, that's great, that's awesome. But you don't know the situation I'm in. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife, and you're right, I don't. And I'm not going to try to try like put, put my life on your life and say, yeah, look, did you just got it? Did you hang the towel? Remember the towel? Remember the towel? You forgot about the towel? He's like, no, that doesn't help me in my life. 
And there's some objections that we have. Like we say things like, man, in my, my marriage, this is not what I signed up for. This marriage is not what I thought it was going to be. Or, man, these people have changed since we first met. Man, have they changed. They're just letting themselves go, right? I don't know. Whatever the changes are, it might be physically, it might be emotionally, it might be personality-wise. Maybe your complaint or your reality is just like, we're not on the same page. Like this whole God thing you're talking about, like I'm coming to church, but they won't come with me. That's a hard one. Maybe the thing that you have is like, I just don't think I love them anymore. These are all realities that happen in marriage. Here's the thing that I, I, I want to uh, be careful about doing from this stage. I don't want to let this stage be a marital counseling for you. Okay? What I'm trying to do is share for you uh, the truth from God's word about how he designed marriage and how he can transform marriage. But it, it might be very real for you that you need to tap into some other tools as well. I want to encourage you to find a professional marriage counselor. And if your spouse won't go with you, go by yourself. Because that's our, odds are you need to work on yourself as well. And surround yourself with friends that not that are just going to nitpick and trash talk your spouse with you, because that makes you feel good, but someone's going, man, let, let's help you work on this. And maybe it's about not dragging them to church and nagging them because they're not as holy as you are, but begin to just pray for them. And get a people around you that are saying, listen, we commit to praying for you and your marriage every day. Because I believe that God's power is bigger than our problems. And that he can transform our relationships if we lay them before him. <laughs> to use our metaphor, I want to encourage you, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up on it. Maybe you already have. Maybe it's too late. And I'm sorry. And I hope that you can find healing. And I hope that you can find a, a rebuilding of your life. But if there is any hope, any sliver, that you might be able to bring this marriage to God and say, God, I just want to give it to you. Maybe I haven't given it to you. Maybe they're not giving it to you, but I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to trust you with it. And then the steps you take after that, that's going to take really good advice from your, your God-honoring friends and from your counselor and from your family who care about you. Um, so again, this isn't intended to be marriage counseling if you need that. But I'll be glad to help you uh, find someone who could help you get some good counseling and get you plugged in with that. There are a lot of things that we could do our marriage, to clean up these towels. And the reality is that I think a good marriage, uh, if you've been married 50 years, a good marriage, your towel ain't going to look like this. No, it's going to be like, there's going to be like hole over here, like a big like footprint stain right here. Like it's going to be frayed on the edges because you've been through it. You've worked through it. But at the end of the day, it's a soft, comfy towel <laughs> because it's been washed over and over and over and over. That's how God can transform your marriage. You take it to him and you say, can you wash this? I want to keep it on the rack, but can you, can you wash this? Stick with it. It may take every single tool in the toolbox for your marriage, but it's worth it. When we individually learn to submit out of reverence to Christ, to our spouse, God can transform your marriage. He can purify your heart. He can purify your motives. He can forgive you when you've messed up. And he can restore you. Why? Because you're returning to the cabinet. And then he can take you a cleansed, restored, transformed person. And he can make you a part of a marriage that's been transformed by Jesus. That is lasting and fulfilling. I'm going to be praying for your marriages. I hope you'll pray for mine. I have a simple challenge for you today as we leave. Find time to take your marriage to God. Find time for that. What I mean by that is I want to challenge you specifically. If you're a married person or if you're not married, maybe you can pray for your parents or married friends of yours. 
Take time every day to lay your marriage before God and pray to him. Not pray like, would you please make him stop being such a jerk? Would you please make her stop being such a nag? Like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, dear God, please help me focus on you and, and, and stand in awe and wow of you. And help me to love my spouse the way that you would have me love him or her. That's the first challenge. That's a heavy challenge right there. Second challenge is this. If your spouse is, um, is, on, is at least close to the same page as you as far as the God thing goes, my challenge for you is this. Find time to pray out loud with your spouse. I'm not saying every single day. I'm not saying do it in the car on the way to lunch right now. I'm saying find time to do it. And it might be that the first conversation is, hey, church today, Chris said that thing about praying. Did you want to do that? <laughs> and they, they might be like, yes. They might be like, I don't know. I'm not good at praying. Maybe you just start by saying, hey, okay, it's supper night. Let's just pray. We'll both pray quietly. <laughs> All right. I pray for you. Did you pray for me? But to the point where maybe you can pray out loud together. My challenge for you is to try to play with your spouse at least once a week. You get to the point where it's maybe a couple times a week because I tell you what, when we begin to become vulnerable in prayer before God in front of our spouse, it's hard to hide things. It's hard to, to stand beside a facade of I got my junk together and point fingers. Why? Because God is, whoa. Let's pray for transformed marriages. Can I pray for you guys today? Lord, we love you. It is so good to stand uh, in your presence and, and say, whoa. Uh, in 12 years of marriage, I haven't been the best husband. And you know my faults, and, and, and so does my wife. Um, but it's through your grace and your forgiveness that you've allowed us to keep our towels hanging on the rack and continue to love each other. And Lord, I pray for the marriages, not only in this community, this, this family, or Adventure Church, Church family, but just marriage in general, the institution of marriage in our culture, is, is, it's been challenged, it's been, uh, it's been marginalized, it's been seen as something that's not that important, yet you look at it as a way to build society, train children, raise the next generation, and then for us to take care of each other as we get old. It's your design, it's your plan. But Lord, I pray that we try to find your instructions for it and live by them. Lord, forgive us when we fall short. Forgive us when we're boneheads and we're selfish. Uh, I pray for those in the room right now who aren't married uh, for some of the reasons that I mentioned before, Lord, that you can help them find their, their place in this conversation today and, and maybe, if nothing else, be restored in the institution of marriage and know that it's your plan and good things can come from it. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.